0: Greetings, and welcome to Broken Boxes podcast. In this episode, we hear from Tzadeh Makinen, a multidisciplinary artist, curator, research, and cultural producer. Tzadeh's practice is driven by black feminist theory, first-hand site-specific research, and ethical social practice techniques, which become solo and collaborative site-sensitive performances, objects, installations, and films. In our conversation, Sade shares with us about her experiences in building and sustaining her art practice, which focuses primarily on intersectional feminism, reproductive health, and migration. She shares how her personal history as a mother, the daughter of Ethiopian refugees, a doula, and a sanctuary builder, nourish and guide her creative expression you feeling ready yes <laughs> um thank you so much for being here on broken boxes sade and you say it's sade right sade well it's really sade sade
1: sade it's like a ts sound um but yeah it's, it's different people say some people say sade some people say sade it's i'm cool with any of them it's like it's all i i appreciate when people just try but i get like that uh, sound is like you know it's very like specific to Ethiopian tongue so
0: <laughs> ah, that's wild our our um second son Seisha his name is T.S.S.A. um Chinupa's um, native tongue and um uh, it's the T.S. that's but I just yeah. for some reason I didn't think that it would uh, um, be similar but it is that's beautiful it's
1: yeah amazing. that reminds me, it's yeah it's interesting when to hear different languages because Obviously, I've grown up assuming that it's like just like something that's in like the Ethiopian Eritrean region. But then there's other parts of Africa too that have that TS sound. And then parts of Asia that I've like, as I've gotten older, I was like, oh, y'all do that too. And then, and when I was in Mexico two years ago, there was a Mayan restaurant that we had gone to and then they were like going through certain words. And I was like, oh my God. And when they spoke, I was like, that sounds like I'm hard. That's wild. Like, because they used to make this sound like, uh, 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 like the same yeah yeah anyways language is wild. well
0: yeah language and like that's a great way to start right is um we all come from such different places um and find ourselves on turtle island in north america you know so so how do you how do you talk about yourself where you come from and where you are now as an artist if you want to introduce yourself
1: sure um where did I come from? Well, I'm born in DC,
0: raised in
1: Silver Spring. So, if you know the DMV area, Silver Springs right outside of DC, like specifically like the downtown area, like East West Highway, Grub Road, Sixteenth Street. <laughs> um, so, like the border is like right across the street, kind of thing. And so that I grew up like where that border was really fluid. Both of my parents worked in the city. Also had several friends of the city. Growing up, my dad was a cab driver, as many East African like dads were at that time and still are. Um, And my mom was going to Howard, and which is where I was born. And that's why I was born there because she was also attending school there. Um, So that is my upbringing. At a time where D.C. was like, you know, as everyone, a lot of people do call it like Chocolate City. It like actually was that, which I didn't until I got older didn't realize how lucky I was because you know it's like I my the city around me and the people around me reflected me so like I I don't know there's certain like and this is not to like shade other people who haven't grown it this way but like there's certain complexes I didn't grow up with like you know like I had a very healthy under like dose of of blackness and like the diaspora like my Doctor, growing up, he was he was Haitian, you know, and and as we know, like because I've worked as a doula in the medical industrial complex, we know that it's really important to have your healthcare providers be, you know, come from a similar culture as you, because they tend to take care of you better, and and also like there's an understanding there that you that you may have to over explain to somebody else who doesn't come from your culture. So I know that was like a big deal. Like there's stories of um, God. Mr. Lysa. I'm losing his name right now. But anyways, my parents at the time, you know, they didn't have that much money. So like, he would give he would give things like to them for free. Like if I had to have a medical appointment or prescriptions or whatever, like he just would be like, here, no, take it, you're fine. (laughs) Like, so that's like a bit of, of, you know, what I grew up around, like where the people at the grocery store were black and immigrant and brown. And my teachers were that my I don't know yeah from top to bottom like it was just across class like I grew up in a really black environment including the fact that the highest population of Ethiopians and Eritreans are in the DC area so like I also very much felt like I grew up in Addis Ababa <laughs> yeah it, and you could call it little Ethiopia like it just everywhere you turned there was an Ethiopian <laughs> and so like School was like a very black experience and, and, and Brown and immigrant, like it was really diverse. And then home was a very Ethiopian experience.
0: Yeah. Well, cool. and so do you bring your, um, your Ethiopian heritage into your work in a very specific way, or is that kind of just second nature and inherent?
1: I think both. Yeah. Like it comes through whether or not I'm trying for it to come through, whether it's in my performances or my objects, or even in like written texts that I have to provide or like curatorial projects. It's just, it always is there, you know, obviously. And then there are, there are moments where I am intentionally bringing it into my work. Yeah. Yeah. Like there is a part of my practice that's really focused on migration or forced migration. And I'm really interested in like linking the different um, migratory patterns across the dias, the African diaspora, Um, Across time as well. So like, you know, my parents moved here in the early 70s. That was like the back end of the Great Migration. I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking about how that is also related to like a lot of the migration that's happening across the Mediterranean, across the U.S.-Mexican border, across the Caribbean Sea, linking it also to, like, the transatlantic slave trade, like, in that, I would say in that um, part of my practice, it's the, the part of me that is Ethiopian definitely comes through because I'm looking at, like, what is happening with Ethiopians and Eritreans specifically, um, going across the Sub-Saharan Africa and to Libya, experiencing, like, there's a slave trade there happening, or... Ethiopians and Eritreans that are going into the Middle East and also experiencing slavery there like specifically in places like Lebanon and then their experiences drowning in the sea and then getting to Europe and I could keep going but like that you know that is definitely from growing up in the community I've grown up in that is that has been very politically charged and not always in ways that I support but (laughs) or agree with but yeah if you were around Ethiopians and Eritreans like 90% of the time the conversation is very political and it's very much about this story of migration and like what they've lost and what they long for and um and what they're also trying to like hold on to in this new these new spaces that they're moving into, you know.
0: Yeah. And I love thinking about movement and that lineage of movement in your in your own personal history, but also um your work as a performance artist and movement. And I came across your work as a performance artist when we worked together for the AHA Outdoor Arts Fest in New Mexico quite a few years and um, I noticed right away as a performance artist you were working beyond the body like creating an environment to perform your work within even outside um carving out a space of intention to inhabit and engage almost like despite the audience like <laughs> right. right having an experience which feels quite radical and personal and can you speak to that process of creating intention like mapping space as part of your performance work
1: mm, I like that mapping space yeah I I mean, yeah, one of the reasons why I'm drawn to performance and fell in love with it is that like it's if, if done right, you when you're performing, you are creating the space, right? And it's like you are inviting people to enter that space. So I love, I mean, the bossy part of me like <laughs> loves that, you know? <laughs> like the fact that like this is this is now has become my realm that you're entering and you have to follow my rules. And if you don't like it, you can leave. But like, if you stay, this is my shit, you know, so and yeah, and maybe like, there's a sense of me that, you know, through especially like, because I I think I fell into yeah, I fell into performance in my 20s. And like, your 20s is such a fucked up tumultuous time, you know, (laughs) God, it's like reliving middle school or something. So I think, you know, that was a time where I was really coming into myself trying to like, you know, form my, my self-worth, my confidence, my, or reform it, I should say. Like, it's like unlearning shit and like learning, relearning it in a way that is, try. well, I was trying at the time to like make it less toxic and more, you know, about healing. And I feel like I've definitely hit that stride in my thirties, but my twenties, <laughs> I do think that performance has been so formative for me and like learning about myself loving myself being comfortable in myself you know i've talked about this you know with other friends of mine who also do performance it's just like when you it's like this muscle right like you do enough wild shit in front of people and look ridiculous like at a certain point you don't care and it then what's beautiful is that it bleeds into your personal life and then you're like oh bitch i don't care about shit like i'm just you know like i will say whatever do whatever be whatever you know and I'm really grateful to performance out for that, you know, like seriously. And, um, so coming back to making space, like, I feel like that is like number one, you know, like what is great about performance is that it is your space and people are entering it. It teaches you to take up space. And then I think it teaches your audience as well to take up space. Right. And yeah, I'm very much, you know, I'm, I'm a research-based artist. So it's like, I, I, there's usually like a concept or, or Something that I'm grappling with that I want to work through in my practice. And then it leads me to creating these objects or installations. And then I, 99.99% of the time, (laughs) usually have to perform with these objects and installations. Like they're never complete until I activate them in performance. So that's kind of, I think, like what you saw at the AHA Festival. And that I've done kind of throughout my career, which is whether it's like the textile that I'm wearing or the actual sculptures or
0: like an environment that I create. Um, really, I love that having to activate the space yeah. like, in order to be complete, because that's where the human comes in, right? Right. right. Yeah. That ener- That energy, right? Like
1: you're already putting your energy into the work because your hand is in it, right? Anything we touch, it gets activated. I mean, and then also like those objects also have their own energetic footprint, you know, without you touching it. But but then like there's this added layer once you do start to touch it and handle it. And then I feel like performance is that next step that takes it to a whole nother level of um, because you're pulling the energy of your audience, of the environment, the space, the ground, the earth, the sky, you know, like um whoever else is a part of your crew whether they're like physically present or in like a different realm you know um so all of that and then like that and then for me I'm like oh my god now like these it's like the objects get activated like in like I don't know I'm thinking of like the avatar or some shit (laughs) the cartoon you know or the different animes that my son watches where like you know it's like all of a sudden this like shooting light comes out of this object and it's like yeah I don't know (laughs) I also just saw Super Mario Brothers I'm also thinking about like you know but I feel like that yeah then those objects are like they become people or I don't know they're they're definitely something
0: something living you know (laughs) Ah, yeah so in your practice you as you said you work across mediums and disciplines, solo and collaborative, and you make um, objects, installations, films, right. performances. So at this point in your career, I know that um, performance is an integral part, but what is the most intuitive aspect of your practice at this point?
1: Mm. That's a great question. Oh, the Gemini, me like, is going to have a hard time deciding. <laughs> it's like it's so moment to moment um and <laughs> okay right now if if I think about it right now it's it's definitely and maybe this is because I'm not able to perform as much you know now that I have this toddler and like I'm home a lot <laughs> or I feel like it's in the object making that I think that's where my a lot of my focus is going right now but then in the end of those objects being done there will be a performance <laughs> to activate them but right now it like I'm I'm hyper focused right now on designing patterns based off of Ethiopian Coptic designs so there's yeah there's an obsessiveness right now with that um, because I'm redesigning my light sculptures so I'm making new patterns for them and so I'm doing a lot of sketching like a lot of handwork. Um.
0: But yeah, let's talk about that. So the one of the works we've been in conversation about recently is the Astral Sea series. And I'd love to share a bit more about this work with the listening audience on how it came to be or what relationship it has to your personal history and where it's heading and evolves. But I also know that the negative space of the light sculptures that you spoke of become the reflection on your performance gar- garments in the astral c series right and this interconnection and reuse of material kind of creates a familial bond between the works in a way and so can you speak about the process of making each of these respective series of works and how they're speaking to each other
1: yeah yeah so so the light sculptures are like first, and then the astral sea came. But I will, I do feel like before the light sculptures, I started making those. I have these Ethiopian scarves that I started to use, um, called net alas, that I would print these, um, Ethiopian protection spells on, and or I should say, Amharic protection spells because there's several languages in Ethiopia, but and then I would have like I would wear them in performance, I would have other performers wear them as well. And that, I mean, God, I don't even. I mean, not that I don't know how that got kicked off, but yeah, that is like the pre Astral Sea. And then the light sculptures came about, which are these kind of long totemic mirrored light sculptures with Ethiopian Coptic designs um, kind of laser cut out of each face. And they're light boxes that are stacked on top of each other. Um, and they are, each light box is dedicated to. Um, a different Black femme who's died from state-sanctioned violence here in the U.S. or who has died while migrating from Ethiopia and Eritrea across the Mediterranean. The very first one was called al which was named after one of my aunts, my mom's second eldest sibling sister who's living she has older ones who've passed um and because her name means you give light and she's one of the matriarchs of the family so it felt very fitting to name it after her and then the second iteration which were several light sculptures is called Sunnight to Nahom um their me their name meaning the peacemaker and the comforter and i was drawn to them because Sunnight was a 19-year-old mother and her child Nahom was about 6 months old and they died in a german detention center um and of course like as a mother that was like, yeah. And also I'm, I pull a lot of the, like this research comes from documents by um, I hope I'm going to say their name right. United Intercultural Action, um, which is a nonprofit based in Europe that's been literally documenting the migrants who come from all over and who die once either crossing the Mediterranean or coming into Europe. And at this point, I mean, the last time I had seen it, the list was like, you know, 38,000 and, you know, and this was years ago. So, and these are obviously like the bodies that they can recover. So... I kind of mine through that to find the Ethiopians and Eritreans that are listed in there, um, and specifically the women. I relied a lot on um, Kimberly Crenshaw's Say her name. Um, well, hers in the African American Policy Forum. Um, the list of names that they've put together and the lives that they've documented that have um, of women and gender non-binary individuals, trans people that have died from state-sanctioned violence here in the U.S. So, so yeah, it, the piece is definitely is like this memorializing of these lives, but then also, you know, I want, I want the work to feel like a sanctuary when you engage with it. But then also it's like, I really believe that for me, it's like their spirits live on through this work. Um, and, and, and beyond that in other ways, but that it's like, kind of like me calling them to come through this work and help me with this, this work on like protection and healing that I'm constantly thinking about with, You know with my people with Black people um which again these natalas predate that and the protection spells that i do have written out are these things that people say to you when you're about to leave the house when you're about to travel about being safe and coming back home so like they're all kind of you know they're all connected right and they're all based off of you know this indigenous aesthetic that i've grown up around in in an ethiopian household in an ethiopian community um and having traveled back home several times that I kind of as a kid like was fascinated by but didn't really process until I got older and understood like you know I'm, and I think every, so many of us are going through this of like just this understanding that like our the aesthetics that we grew up with are so important so fucking beautiful and like also I mean in my in opinion like more important than the western art that like a lot of us have been <laughs> drowned in you know like so so I think that's also part that's definitely a mission of mine of just like bringing this aesthetic in that um, I've grown up in and like presenting it in this in the western spaces that I move through because that's this is where I exist right so <laughs> yeah and then so the basically the as you said the negative space so these Ethiopian Coptic crosses were laser cut out of these mirror pieces I kept all of those pieces and then initially for the first time I used them Was I I attached them to this white dress that I used in a performance at the August Wilson Center um, when the first iteration of light sculpture was shown and I loved it it worked and it was definitely like me going in the direction of like okay I see these as cells of all of these women Um, I can't throw them away one because I felt bad because it was plastic it was (laughs) like I was like oh my god I'm using really shitty materials that are not good for the earth so how do I not throw these out I also am a hoarder as most artists are and then the main bit was like talking about energy like these women are in all of these pieces and all of this work and I was yeah the performer in me was like if I place these pieces on me I can then like be this conduit of, of of these women of these stories and they can can live on through them and after placing them on my this white dress that I performed in I then landed on using these blue textiles um, just based off of like a lot of the things I was reading and being inspired by and I've mentioned this before like I think one of my biggest inspirations is Rahawa Haile, who's an air-trained American writer. Um, she has an article, A Low and Distant Par- Paradise, that really, I don't know, I, I I resonated so hard with it, I think, because she she articulated something that me and I think a lot of other people, part of the like East African diaspora, have felt and have grown up with, but didn't know how to like, Speak it, you know, and and um she did that in this in this article, and then she's written a lot of, about other forced migration issues, including like the slave trade in Libya. Um, I think she's coming out with a new book. Anyways, I love her brain, Rahawa, and she's so generous. Um, and we've been in conversation a lot. Of my titles are inspired by her text, so there's that, you know. And then um, and she's talking a lot about climate change as well, and water and land and in, in the work of a lone distant paradise. And then I think, and then I was also reading Christina Sharp in the wake at the time. I mean, Sadia Hartman, it was just like all of these black femme scholars and a lot of talking about water and black people moving across bodies of water. Yeah. And then that's kind of how I landed on the obvious color of blue and like thinking about how do I evoke water through performance? And yeah, I landed on these materials that are the astral sea. And then I started, that's when I started placing those the negative space of the Ethiopian Coptic designs on the textiles. And each one is different. I have four so far. I'm gonna I'm about to have to make several more, <laughs> which I'm excited about, but I'm also like terrified because I have a toddler and I'm like on very little sleep, and I'm like, wow, great. <laughs> I'm gonna Real Talk. Yes. Right, right. So yeah, I'm just not sleeping. So, but what I, I love about each one is that they kind of grow and change and I'm watching how like I'm getting clearer on the visual language that I'm trying to put together on this, on these textiles. Like the first one, I, you know, I think you can tell it's the first one because I'm, I'm still figuring out what designs I'm trying to make. And, you know, when I'm, you see, you start to see the influences and then it gets clearer and clearer as they go. And, you know, and I've mentioned this before of like, I'm abstracting these Ethiopian Coptic designs but I'm also like super influenced by other black spiritual designs that come up across the diaspora that show up on this kind of um remix I don't know of all of them you know
0: Yeah I love I love when artists work in series because there is an evolution and I feel like that's that's how human beings grow how we interpret and learn and continue to evolve and so I love that you can see it even if other people might not see it you can see your evolution and your clarity especially as a research-based artist that feels like it really mirrors that evolution of engaging with academia and um, your peers it's it's just a really beautiful thing to think about
1: yeah yeah
0: yeah, and, and the
1: research element, also seeing how I've evolved in that has been pretty cool because I I was doing it, obviously, on my own, and then I got the Smithsonian Artist Research Fellowship in 2019, and so then I was really able to, like, go in um, at the African Art Library. Shout out to Janet Stanley. She's, like, a G in the <laughs> African art <laughs> like, archiving world. So, yeah, like, I would, you know, I'd literally just talk to her and and tell her what I was interested in. And then I'd show up the next day, and she would have all these books laid out for me that she pulled and, like, yeah, different bibliographies and and other scholars to, like, contact. So that, that was definitely, like, this really important seed. And then, thought, you know, so then I was there for about two months and, and that relationship I've, I've maintained and I'm really close with a lot of people there. They ended up acquiring my, the second iteration, the Sun Nights and now Home Light Sculpture, um, Seven Light Towers. Then like I got this fellowship at the Clark Art Museum this past fall. I was there for three months and then I was able to dig even deeper. So that it's just, it was cool to see like that, like the, at, in 2019, that was like, kind of like I was scratching the surface and then like I broke through the surface at the Clark, you know, cause I just, I had in that span of what, three, four years, I like, I was, I started to recognize a lot of the scholars who were writing about Ethiopian art and artifacts and history. So I started to recognize names and like, now I feel like I'm like, Oh wow. The people who I've been reading for these many years, like I actually have a relationship with, which is really fucking cool. And they want to be in conversation with me and you know, right now I'm going to be in an exhibit at the Met called Africa and Byzantium um, opening in November. And that is with Andrea Achi, who's an associate curator at the Met. Um, She's the curator of medieval art there. And she, she came to my solo show in 2019 to see Sun Knight and Nahum and my scarves. And so we've been in conversation throughout that time. And like, you know, and then talking with her, like there's scholars that I've, that she knows that like, you know, she's put me in contact with and now all of a sudden we're all going to be in this catalog together for this show at the Met, which is really cool. And like, it's just funny how you just don't know where things lead you. Like you start something and then all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, like this is wild. I would never have guessed, you know? And some of these scholars, like we're actually like talking about like me visiting them, you know, in their academic institutions and working with them and Some of them are now writing about my work and like and even Andrea, like I think I said this before, but she said something that was like super powerful for me and just affirming where she she when she came to see my show in 2019, she was like, wow, like you are your work is the visual manifestation of like the research I've been doing for so many years. And that's fucking cool, you know, to hear from from somebody who like, yeah, is like they too are like in this rabbit hole on the same ideas. and
0: Incredible. And that is the power of art, you know? It's it's a visual interpretation of such deep and textured lineages, right? And you're really pulling that apart. And I want to talk about the activation of the Astral Sea series. I've seen videos of you performing at the Venice Biennale, in the uk like what where do you choose to go and how do you activate these um or you call them shawls right is that um i don't know i
1: i call them textiles but yeah yeah i can <laughs> i call them
0: sculptures sometimes yeah, the like, evolution of term yeah. of language
1: right yeah totally um yeah so How do I choose? Sometimes it's like intentional, like the Venice Biennale, like I went, especially the second time, the first time, which I don't know if those videos are public, but um, the first time I did it, it was more of like, I was upset about this boat that was on display there and I felt like I needed to respond to it. I brought like my performance art treasure chest, like my pelvic bone and my Ethiopian cape and like all these things and my scarves that I print on numhark protection spells and then so and then that one yeah so that was very impromptu that was very well very much like from the school that i come from which is the crew a crew of us performers called panoply where uh-huh. there was this you know panoply <laughs> yes i'm like i'm explaining Panoply to you and you definitely know panoply which is like it totally overlaps with the aha festival and what you were doing there it was the same people um but yeah, I feel like I, I went to the best performance arts, performance art school possible <laughs> called Panoply Performance Lab. And what that underground performance art scene taught me was just like, just show up somewhere. If you've got a body, you've got a performance, right? So like. <laughs> Um, And the whole idea of just taking up space like and so I was very used to just like rocking up somewhere and whether it's outside, inside, whatever, and just start performing. So that's kind of what I did that first time, which was like, I'm going to just pull up with these performance art objects that I have and whatever moves me is what I'm going to do and respond to. And then the second time, November 2019, that was more intentional and planned out. And that was where I brought the first Astral Sea piece. Um so I feel like that was very much planned for and like a, and it was a specific response to this migrant boat where 8 to 1200 mostly sub-saharan africans but also middle easterners died in um in the off the coast of sicily that this um artist Christophe Bouchel um I never know if I'm saying his last name right put on display as an art object. So I was kind of like protesting him and the Venice Biennale for doing something super inhumane and disgusting. So, so that was, I would say that I definitely was like, this is what I'm doing. And that was like, the whole point of that traveling out there was for that reason, the doing it at, in the UK, my partner's from the UK and it was, you know, at that time before we kind of like settled in to like being parents and and moving in together, I was, we were traveling back and forth a lot. Like he was coming here, I was going there and he's a filmmaker. So we're always trying to figure out ways to collaborate. And this idea was born out of like, just talking about, I mean, the obvious reasons UK, (laughs) like, like they're original creators of a lot of the bullshit we exist in right now. So it was just like, Oh, we should do something there. Like, so I brought, one of my textiles oh both of them i'm sorry because i had the black one and the blue one i did the black one i took we did i did a performance in front of buckingham palace and the blue one was at houses of parliament slash the churchill sculpture there or public art piece and yeah and then we so that was kind of like that was also premeditated but came out of just like our discussions and you know and then also like his own experiences of because he was born in nigeria grew up and migrated to the uk with his family when he was two so like there was a lot of his own um experiences that were he was bringing into that you know
0: yeah um, and when you say like pre premeditated, predetermined performances they're still unsanctioned right like or did you get you didn't get approval from bucky yeah no 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 yeah (laughs) they're still
1: exactly right I sanctioned
0: them I want to talk a little bit about like the emotional um experience of activating space without asking permission like going into spaces and deciding that you're going to do a performance and just kind of walking in and beginning what does that feel like and how do you like keep your energy. I know probably Panoply like has helped you to like nurture knowing how to do that. But is there any kind of things you can share with our audience about how to take up that space unsanctioned?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I do think like, you know, you saying Panoply like practice. Like I think I've done it enough that I just I grew that muscle, you know, because it does it does take it takes like a mixture of like recklessness. (laughs) <laughs> confidence you know like an I don't give a fuck attitude whatever goes down goes down <laughs> you know Like there's like a mix of um yeah I don't know and like a, a hint of delusion like it's kind of delusional to do some shit like that like you know especially in like a black or brown or indigenous body what the fuck like that's yeah it, I don't recommend it but <laughs> like, but yeah, it's and definitely fearlessness. And I will say, like, I am a child of fearlessness. Like, I've had that's been in my DNA since I was born. You know, like from all the stories that my families and aunts and uncle, I terrorized people as a kid, and like I still have that in me. Like, I'm a troll ass person, and I love to fuck with people. So there's that. <laughs> there's definitely that involved. And then there's also like a sense of maybe entitlement but not in like a arrogant way but just like in like like when I look at places like Buckingham Palace I'm like that shit is ours like I'm like I want to snatch it because I'm just like are you fucking kidding me like your bitch asses like are hiding behind this like big ass bougie building that like you were able to create off the backs of so many black and brown people around the world like this doesn't actually belong to you you know so there's also that, that I'm like, and maybe that's the anger seething through me <laughs> where I'm like, give me that shit. Like what the fuck? Um, so yeah. So there's all of that going on. And then, and then I think, yeah, and maybe th- this is the, the muscle part of like having done it so many times is there is an awareness that I have. Maybe it's intuitive where I know when like, Oh shit, we are approaching danger. And like, I decide like, do I, that do we pull back or do we just walk right into it you know like which yeah like if the the venice piece in november Dagmao who is a dear friend of mine and is a documentarian out in italy um he wanted to keep going he's of ethiopian descent when the the police like descended upon us and I actually, and I ended up cutting it short because I was just like, I'm not trying to end up in no Italian jail. But then even more importantly, I didn't want anything to happen to him because um, he lives there and and he has a family. Like I, So, you know, there's things like that that kind of dawn on you in the moment, whether you're going into it or not. Like whether you're aware of it when you're going into it, I think I was definitely aware of it in November because I had the experience in April 2019 when I performed there and we had to like the the police, the militia, there was it was so highly policed, like every form of Italian like secret service, all of that shit was there. So having experience that I knew like, okay, we're going into this in November, like very like I'm willing to do this, but I'm not willing to. In danger, either of us, and especially not Doug Mali. Um And but I also warned them. I emailed the the Biennale and the curator for that year, and gave them a heads up. And they responded, which is hilarious. <laughs> which basically was like, they, and it was you know totally. They were being very, what's the word, like professional, you know, in their response of just like you know, you can come, but we you know we can't support this, like you know kind of thing. Which I said before, I love that I have that email because I can't wait until it's a part of the you know the archives. <laughs> and then in, in the UK when we did the when we when Yemi um, filmed me at Buckingham Palace and at the at Parliament, Buckingham Palace. Towards the end, the cops actually did pull up because it's a highly policed area. It's just like here in DC. If if you do anything near the White House or Capitol and Capitol Hill and but we knew, like, we were like, we know they're watching us from start to the beginning. And they, came, Or sorry, the beginning to the end. And they came at the end. And um, I've learned also the responses to
0: give. Oh, really?
1: That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, like, you, you kind of distract them with, like, I don't know. I think, like, with that, we used the fact that Yemi's a filmmaker. And, you know, he works with, like, certain... I will not say their names, but like big name TV, film industry um companies. And so like we dropped some of those names and then all of a sudden it turned into like they were like, ooh, oh, this is interesting, you know? <laughs> um, at other times I can be combative about it, but like I don't know, you just gotta be quick on your feet, like <laughs> and really yeah, decide you want this to go left or do you want this to like go peaceful and you walk yeah, away from it? Yeah,
0: deflecting know? and kind of using some. Yeah. Some ninja skills.
1: Right. 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 Always exactly. Says,
0: like, um, don't ask for permissions, just apologize. After.
1: Exactly. Oh my God. I've done that so many times where you act dumb and you're like, Oh, I had no idea. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. Let me, Oh my God. Let me, yeah. I've totally done that. You know? <laughs> totally, yeah. Uh, or like, you know, like, you know, it's going to be a quick one. Like the, I did a national sea performance in D.C. in between the Monument and Capitol Hill with um, my dear friend Cecily, who I I, I collaborate with often. And this is during peak BLM protests in D.C. in 2020. So we were like there were cops everywhere and, you know, there were protest signs still like on the ground. And we were very much like, you know, and we also know the rules, like don't have a tripod, like um, definitely don't use, don't be dumb and use a, a drone, like you can't do that in D.C. And like, So we were like that. It, I think the entirety of that footage is like maybe 15 minutes long, but it's like edited down to four minutes. But we were in and out like mm -mm. (laughs) not fucking with no D.C. police like I'm good. Yeah,
0: Yeah, no, that's wild. It's good to like get it down to a science and know what works and um, be quick on your feet. I love that.
1: Yeah.
0: So I want to shift gears a little bit and kind of talk about Your theory, a lot of your work brings forward like a powerful feminist undertone, Um, which I've noticed anchored first in like black feminist theory, but your studio practice also focuses on what you've described as intersectional feminism so. As someone who has been working for some time to like uncover new language to talk about feminist thought and also interconnection in areas of collective growth and activism, mm-hmm. can you describe a bit about what these terms hold for you and why they resonate uh, with your practice and in what ways? Yeah, that's a great question. Well,
1: intersectional feminism was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw. So like, I'm totally, of course, yeah, her language, but it felt the most like concise for me because of all of the ways that I and I think you just said it too in a really good way but like I'm pulling from these different areas that seem separate but they're actually all connected and I feel like that term really is almost like an umbrella for that you know like I'm very much a reproductive health activist or rights activist. So and that's been I've been in that game for a minute. Like I used to intern for a nonprofit in DC, advocates for youth when I was like 19, 20, you know, and and um and it was all about reproductive health, but specifically around the rights of like young people. And then I, you know, fell into midwifery. And then I was trained as a doula by an organization here called Mamatoto Village. And worked with them for like three to four years and really got like I mean I think some of the biggest best life lessons I've ever had you know um like as you know Ginger having children like not only having my own children but being present for other people giving birth is like so fucking powerful and then supporting them through that is like life-changing so and then it being mainly um you know Mama Toto it's since it's a nonprofit, their target audience is black and brown immigrant women in the DC area. So and then also and specifically those that, you know, are you know, I'm, I don't know. I I I talk about terms like the word marginalized. Yeah. I, I don't know. How, like I, I wish I. I need to think of something better than that. But yeah,
0: um, we're at this point in our, um, in our generation where we're starting to like assess language. Yeah. So so yeah. So these these families that I
1: was serving were experiencing a lot of violence moving through the medical industrial complex. Um, whether it's like their prenatal visits to their actual like labor and birth in the hospital, and then their postpartum time where a lot of women end up they get neglected across classes races just because the United States of fucking America (laughs) is very anti-family and anti-mothers um you know so like dealing with women who were having to go back to work work really quickly and not able to like heal properly or dealing with you know women who were experiencing things in their bodies that they're healthcare professionals weren't listening to you know like and then it turning into something fucking scary and possibly deadly and um so all that to say is like that that work just like my my the different identities I have that comes through my work all the fucking time I mean like I have the crowning series which is directly related to my work as a doula and I mean the full title is even beyond that, because I was a childbirth educator, I kind of was a social worker, there was just a lot of hats that we had to wear. And those women who do that work continue to wear. But yeah, I was handling pelvic bones, because I'd be teaching these families like their anatomy and how the baby was coming out and what to do as comfort measures, like when you're in labor, and what to do to like, have an optimal birth. And like, so I was always handling a pelvic bone. And then just was Felt very intuitive to just like bring that into my practice, you know, um, and then to use it as like a crown um, and thinking about like our wombs and, you know, being our seat of power and kind of elevating it. And I do a lot of squatting with the the pelvic bones, which is like a very like birth related thing, you know, because that's one of the best ways to give birth. But then also it's like, you know, pull, directly pulling from like Black culture of like just I mean, just this the sexual nature of like squatting like thinking of like little kim i mean everyone's everyone has done it from her to Nicki minaj and there's such power there's so much power in that too so like thinking about that in my work yeah and this is like all these things that again like falls under this intersectional feminist umbrella yeah <laughs> i feel like i'm going off on
0: tangents but oh it's good i feel like feminism has almost become a bad word in us, uh, in certain spaces, because right. folks like this very um, separative space of like this white feminist narrative, and so I really do think it's important to kind of bring people up to speed with the complexity that c- exists for like the female-bodied experience, right? Like mm-hmm. your work is very much doing that and talking about health and well-being. Uh, for the female body also is is something that almost feels like taboo to talk about, especially in the art world. Like there's, there's like a fetishization around the female form, but it has to be almost through a male gaze in order for it to be validated or have prestige. So I'm really interested in this work you're doing because you kind of um, flip that.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I think it it comes back to that whole taking up space thing. Right. Like, you know, in and, and speaking of evolving, like, and I know I'm, I'm sure you've seen it, you, you know, when I first kind of entered the art world, quote unquote, it felt, I, I feel like where we are now in 2023, like there's more conversations about artist parents, artist mothers, there's more people doing work around like even birth, which is really fascinating to see. And I know I'm, I know, women have been doing it from the beginning of time like there are elder artists who who were doing it in the 60s and 70s and and beyond but like you said like it's been taboo for so long and it seems like it's starting to trend now which is really interesting and great but also gives me a bit apprehension or just like because it, it goes back to I think you said this at the beginning of our talk I don't know if it was in the recording but like how so much of the art world in academia is changing everything. Everyone's talking about inclusivity, but it doesn't feel fucking genuine. And the reason why it doesn't feel genuine is like, you can't just plot this person or this thing, you know, as the face of your organization or your gallery or your collection, and then say like, you're now, you know, a feminist or like whatever it is, right? And then, but you're still treating the the very people that, You're quote unquote representing like shit, you know, like because I still I still push it like you know I'm still experience really anti-family ass like things within you know the art world like, and I you know I'm very much and I guess this is my protest as an artist but like from jump I've been very like clear and open about having a kid and how much time that takes. And then I prioritize my kid and now my children and how off-putting that would be for a lot of people. But then also the the flip side of that is like how a lot of other artists who are parents would come to me and be like, oh my God, I saw you brought your kids to that thing. So I brought mine like, or... Like, oh, my God, you did that residency. I applied for that one, too, because I saw that you could bring your kid. And I'm like, yes, like, you know, like this, this almost like this demystification work that we have to constantly do. I feel like this is such a tangent. But yeah,
0: so important. It's real. Yeah,
1: yeah. It really is like, you know, residencies who've hit me up about wanting me to like apply or they want me to to come for a summer and then i'm like okay well i've got a family and then all of a sudden it's like oh shoot we can't accommodate that or we didn't think that through or and you know not to knock all of them like uh, some of them what i appreciate are like oh we weren't thinking about that before thank you for bringing this to our attention we need to change some shit and it's like great um or there's certain residencies i'll choose to not name them but like that are like Okay, now we have this artist parent residency, but you have to leave your kids back home and we'll only give you like $250 for childcare so that, but you have to be gone for like a month. I'm like, what the fuck is that going to pay for? Like, what? (laughs) Like, I, so I can't bring my kids, I got to leave them, find childcare where they, you know, like where I'm leaving them. And it's like barely going to cover groceries. Like, what are you talking about? You know, Um, and these are things, these are things put in place by other parents. That's the wild part to me is like, you have a kid like, but, you know, people, I don't know, not all, but a lot of people love to uphold a lot of these violent ass ways of being in this country, you know, that is just like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like this doesn't help like you either. Like, how are you working for this and it is working against you? you know?
0: Yeah, I think that there's there's like different class and privilege that people come through, and that determines like how they can activate as parents or artists. Like yeah. a lot of artists who are women, indigenous, black and brown women of um, who are coming into the art world, there's not that privilege. There's not that hobbyist kind of art um, vibe that, (laughs) you know, some people, some people who come from more privileged white spaces or upper class can afford, you know, there's just like a different set of rules and understanding and like tenderness that needs to come with all these efforts for inclusivity that I don't, I don't think they've caught up with quite yet, and unfortunately, people like you are in the in the crosshairs of that. You know, right? That's exhausting to have to constantly be the one. Yeah, yeah. I feel like
1: (laughs) I'm constantly quitting in my head, or not quitting, but I'm just like, "Fuck this! Why am I even like?" Because it's like, I mean, we were emailing about this last night, but like, I don't even get to make art as much as I want to because you're so you're so caught up in the arts admin part of it that you know, like that takes up most of your practice. And then you get like this little sliver of time to like make the work. And then if you're a parent, it's even smaller, you know, which is can be like a, uh, like a superpower, because it makes you super efficient, right? Like when you do get that 15 minutes, you go fucking hard, and you get it done. Whereas like, I see some of my friends who don't have kids where they like have, you know, they get distracted a lot more easier than I do. But so then I'm I'm so you're telling me I have to like I am I barely have time to make the work. And then on top of that, I have to fight your ass for like fucking coins and like and this shitty, shitty ass like situation or program or whatever you have put together for me. Like and then I, and, and I have to work with like I just yeah, I just I have a lot of moments where I'm like, why am I doing this? Like I'm really all I want to do is make the work and like. Maybe I could do that without
0: engaging with any, with these structures, you know, like, well, what I'm starting to think about and realize, and maybe like low level advocate for is like project managers to come along on the rider for artists. If you're going to be involved in like a solo exhibition or a large show or something that you're creating new work, because of the admin and all of that there needs to be some support built in outside of just like financial compensation it actually is like your time to make the work that they're asking you to write about photograph sign out all the contracts loan agreements like i haven't even fucking made the work because writing
1: all these emails girl yeah i mean speaking of project managers like that is the, one of the biggest blessings I gave myself in 2021 is when I started working with Aisha or Aisha white shout out to Aisha, um, of Nyla studios. Oh my God. Like she has been like such an angel, an art angel in my life. Like my whole, I, there's no way I would be where I'm at right now. Cause in the last, like, I feel like two to three years, my practice has taken off, which is super exciting and amazing, but it got it it's at a point where like I cannot manage it all and because of Aisha I can like I mean it's it's still a fucking lot but like she also is you know she works with a bunch of artists as a project manager um and then has her own studio practice so but she's been such a fucking blessing like I hope that we will work together forever but I would never be possessive and hold on to her obviously but like um that was a game changer for me like and then since then, like, you know, then I've pulled in another friend of mine kind of as like an art consultant because she represents a lot of other artists and really understands the art market art world game in a way that I have no, I I don't have any interest playing and then also like don't understand. And then I just pulled in a new studio assistant, Soliana Hailu. And, you know, like she's doing more of like the arts admin stuff, like helping That's great. website and helping me with just things that. I'm not interested in dealing with, but then also I really have no fucking time. And like, for years have just been like, I'm just not going to do that. Like, Oh, well, like I don't, cause I have these, this kid or these kids to raise on top, you know, and I'm very much like, a, am so, I'm a, I'm a great parent. Like I prioritize my children just as much as I prioritize my career. Both are equally important to me. And I refuse to let either one fail. Well, you know and maybe to the judgment of like my own health but like, <laughs> so you know as much as I'm juggling all of this stuff in my practice I'm juggling so much with my kids you know like my older son has he's in a travel soccer league he's got hella I feel like we have a doctor dental appointment to go to at least once a week he's involved in so many things with his school I'm involved at this school like I'm cool with his the teachers and that the the staff there now I have this toddler who I'm like, you know, thinking about, and I'm also like, you know, this is the doula midwife in me, but like, I'm really big on like supplements and herbs. And I'm always thinking about like, you know, nutrition and nourishment and like juicing smoothies. And I mean, like, and cooking things from scratch. So it's just a lot going the fuck on. (laughs) And like, the best thing I did was to pull in these, these different people into my studio practice. And I will say like, this is a hack guys. I mean, if you can find the right person, but with Aisha, you know, when I first, we started first working together, you know, I would give her like a budget. I'm like, look, I only got like $200 for the month. Like to pay you, what can you do with that $200? And then like, stop, you know, once you hit that wall and she's like, Aisha's fucking brilliant and like super efficient and has a master's in arts admin and stuff. So she was like, okay, but I got you. So she was like, I'm going to work on things that will get you more money so that then you can actually pay me and bring me on more. And that's what's exactly has happened. Like now we're like dealing with like big ass budgets, which is exciting and terrifying, but <laughs> so terrifying. Like I constantly want to dissociate, but like she, she found the money to like basically sustain her and sustain me and like allow me to go bigger. Um, And so now that's why I'm like, okay, now I can hire a studio assistant and these other people like, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to be like have one of those studios where there's like several you have several employees. I don't know that kind of work anymore. <laughs> yeah, like but exactly, right. I never touch my work. I don't I don't want to be one of those artists, but I it does excite me to think cuz I love to collaborate. Like that is that also is like I've talked about collaboration as a material for me. Like that is definitely a a big part of my practice. So this also allows me to like Work with other people that are really cool, and I enjoy being around, and like can actually make the arts admin not fun, but like lighter. That makes sense.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's like there's an accountability buddy kind of like you're like working exactly. together for a shared goal of like bringing these ideas into like the mainstream culture. Of right, I love that. Yeah, yeah. it's so important. You know, I do that also for a couple artists. You know, of uh, just like. I wouldn't say necessarily admin, but just like studio direction and help to like ease that tension of overwhelmingness. Because I'm like, how many artists who are incredible never made it because of emails?
1: Girl, like so many, so many. Yeah. Yeah. And because the, honestly, the, the biggest difference between the like famous artists and everybody else is fucking budget. The famous ones have budget to do whatever the fuck they want. Like, yeah. And it's, it's, It's inspiring because I'm like, oh, bet, like, I'm going to figure out how to get there. But also, it's kind of heartbreaking because I know so many brilliant ass artists who will never get that chance because, like you said, like, it's just, it's overwhelming. And it's intentionally like that. Like, don't, and then you add like the added pressure of like, you are Black, Brown, Indigenous, immigrant trying to move through these spaces. There might be language barriers, there's cultural barriers, there's, racial barriers there's like there's all kinds of shit you're working up against that like it makes it less of a you know like a clear path you know Anyway, sorry
0: (laughs) i'm feeling that it's so true and so i'm wondering like you shared uh one really cool hack about like proposing like what you do what you can afford to get assistance and then working from there instead of being like it's too overwhelming I don't have the funds you know it's like starting with have. is there other kind of hacks or tips that you can share with artists who might be listening who are like feverishly taking notes (laughs) who are maybe steps behind you who who you could you could provide some seeds of knowledge
1: yeah um yeah so the hack of like if you only have $50 or a hundred dollars, like offering that to somebody and seeing what they can do with it. And, you know, like, and and, like, don't sleep on students. Like there are so many, especially if you already have this studio practice that whether it's emerging or mid career, like there are students who like, they're going to gain not like their biggest thing is like getting access and knowledge. You know, like, I think that's one of the things that I'm enjoying working with solely is that like, she's, really getting her feet wet as like a curator and arts admin. And I'm giving, you know, not just me because she works for other organizations, too. But like, one of the things I'm trying to do is like, draw those connections to her. I'm like, Look, if I bring you in this fold, like I'm talking to all these like big, big name curators, I'm dealing with these big ass institutions, let you can like be in on these emails, you can be in on organizing these things with me. And like, all of a sudden, now you have these connections, like, you can really offer people a lot more than just like a financial, financial support, which is important. But like, if you're at a stage where you don't have the funds, which I was at that stage for years, there's other things that you can offer that might be, you know, a, which might actually boost somebody's career. And and then all, all of a sudden, they're getting approached by other organizations to get paid for things. And so then in a way like they're they're kind of getting paid even though you might not be the one, paying, you know, like I mean, Aisha says this all the time to me like since working with me, she's gotten so many gigs outside of um our like, you know, studio work, which is so I'm like that makes me so happy to hear, you know. Um like the the there's abundance everywhere that doesn't necessarily um have to be money, you know, it could be in in other ways. So there's that um Love that definitely i mean i i don't know if this is a hack but like going back to planably like i think what and not just planably but like i've had really amazing experiences with collectives um and just groups of artists and people within the arts just from like i, I don't know like i think that's an important a lot of times as an artist it can be really solitary especially if, if you're working with objects and stuff um I think it's like it's just really important to build community and to find different communities, pockets of community, because that that's kind of how you will only survive this shit. Like because it's super ruthless and and it's anti so many things. You know, it's anti human, like the art world <laughs> and the art market essentially. So I think that like if you already if you don't already have a community that you trust and has your back and you have theirs, like I think that's definitely a priority and a hack. Like I've gotten so many blessings and given and and also reciprocated just through my panoply crew with like Ayana Evans, Dom Dom Duro, Esther, Laylee, Elizabeth Lamb, April. Like where I've gotten gigs and they and Nugent Smith um, that and they've dropped my name and I've done the same for them. Like and we've all kind of pulled each other up together, you know, through this like messy ass industry. And, and then I have, like, other ones, like, you know, in the D.C. area, Margaret Boozer and Red Dirt Studio has been such a support system for me. Um, J.J. McCracken, Leslie Holt, like, I kind of took, made them, like, my mentors, you know, and years ago and just would hang out at their studio and be a part of their discussions and crit sessions and, like, kind of gave myself my own MFA working with them, you know. And, I mean, now Margaret is, like, one of my advisors for this big public art commission I have at Providence, you know, like the lawyer I'm working with came from her and the you know, insurance broker or one of like that I'm trying to work with came from her. And yeah. And then Ellen Atsui, he's also one of my mentors. I'm constantly in conversation with him. Like he's really been he's giving I open my eyes uh, on like just how far I can go, you know, just having like. Like, you know, he's like one of the whatever most famous artists living right now. And, you know, he gave me access to his studio. I went to Insuka for three weeks in Nigeria and spent time with him and got to see like at the scale he's working with. But he also like in turn has supported me and pushed me, you know, like he's watched me be a single mother trying to navigate the art world. And I think that really was endearing for him. So for him, he was just like, Oh, she's fucking serious. Like, all right, let, let me figure out how I can help her. Um, Cause L is not some; he does not waste his time. I mean, when you're at that level, you can't waste time. So like, if you're not serious, he's not gonna <laughs> give you any of his time. So I think he saw that serious in me at a young, at a younger age and like has really been super supportive. I mean, he's the reason why I was in Venice. He encouraged me and, financially supported me to go back to Venice and do that performance. And yeah, he's been such a cheerleader for me, like, which has been even with this Met show, I'm constantly texting him, like, should I do this? Should I work with this material? Like, you know, and sometimes he doesn't give me definitive answers, but he gives me an answer that I know is right for me. So yeah, there's just finding people that you want to emulate. Like, I'm always looking at people's lives that I'm like, oh, I want that. It might not be their entire life but it might be a bit of their life like how they parent or how they how they um manage their financial resources how they have built their art career whatever it is like um or how they take care of themselves like I'm always trying to like I don't know that's a hack right like if someone else has figured something out just fig- like learn from them <laughs> instead of like starting from scratch right
0: oh that's really valuable and I think like the the overarching theme is that even though the byproduct of the creative experience is like an object or an idea that kind of exists in a vacuum we don't exist in a vacuum and we need to continue to build community be accountable to each other and support each other like um, that cutthroat mentality of the art world it it might be supportive to like keep prices high and keep the market going but I don't think it has to be what drives us as artists I think we can bring our people with us and we can bring new new ways of surviving in that space with us right it feels like that's the takeaway I'm getting from what you're saying
1: yeah and oh my god the other you just triggered something prices talk to your peers about money Mm -hmm. like oh my god that's another hack because like, like what you're saying is the art industry, especially the art market, because of capitalism and like greediness, they love to like for there to not be transparency, you know, like talk to people about pricing your work. How much are they pricing their work for? Talk to people about like we the crew, I, like my collective friends across different art groups. We talk about we tell on people. Like if a curator has been shitty to us, we tell each other. If an institution is lowballing us, we tell each other. If someone has treated us well, we tell each other. We're like, guess what? That curator is fucking awesome. They took care of us. They did da 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 da. Or this institution, they gave me a really good honorarium or a really good commission. Because yeah, the art world continues to be the way it is because they love that opaqueness they don't you know but uh, esp- and they can and, and our artists unfortunately are at the bottom of like the whole structure because they yeah I mean I can go into all the reasons why it doesn't make any fucking sense because the art world wouldn't exist without artists making artwork but unfortunately we're the ones who tend to get exploited and the way to avoid that is is being transparent and talking and asking questions and Sharing contracts, that's another thing. Like if a friend of yours has already made a contract, they can share that with you so that you can either make your own or just erase their name and write your name in it. Like um, email responses, we have I've shared that with friends. Like, you know, when, like, so that you can just, it's a template, you know? There's just so many things that I wish I knew when I was coming up that like, I've had to like fall in stubble, fail, fuck up, yeah. and then figure out. And then but but also again I can I've avoided you know getting burned in certain situations because I just asked somebody else what they did in that situation and they taught like I learned through their experience, you know? So Uh,
0: no, I love that talk about money, like oh my
1: god, please talk about money, yeah.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's such good advice and just you know, I wonder, because I feel the same energy in Chinupa that you have as far as just like curiosity and inquisitiveness and like doing things outside of the box, like breaking the box of like how you're supposed to be an artist. And I, I'm i wondering if that stems from not going to like a fancy schmancy art school or something and just kind of like learning on the streets, so to speak.
1: Right. Yeah, I totally think that's a lot of it. Like, kind of existing on the outside. Yeah, I I mean I love that about myself. Like I've what's brought gotten me here is like, you know, apprenticing. Like I've worked in so many different studios under bigger named artists watching how they go through stuff cuz that's the kind of I learn much better through like going through something and embodying it rather than like, you know, theorizing over things, which you know, that that has its lane, but I yeah, totally. I think I'm sh- yeah, I definitely can relate to Jenup in that way of a, like yeah like i i've never fit into anybody's box like even if i've tried <laughs> you know? so like i'm I, my mantra is like i want to be as expansive and ima- imaginative as possible always like to me that is freedom and anything that like restricts that which the academia side of the art world can do that the art market galleries like institutions like that shit can make me itch. Like I, I do, I work through all of them. But I'm also like, I am my own entity. I am, I am an island, and like, you can come visit my island, but I am definitely not moving to yours. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's how I'm. Yeah, that's how I want to move. Like, and then have like my other friends' islands near me. You know, like, and we just visit each other. But yeah, I'm. I freedom to me is just like, yeah. How how expansion imagination yeah building worlds that have not existed
0: yet for myself and for my others yeah Mm -hmm. I love that that's a kind of a great sentiment to end our conversation on and I've been trying to bring back this uh this old school broken boxes moment of like having a a soapbox moment like a moment for you to speak to the world one thing that you'd like to say this platform goes. Um, transmits through streaming platforms globally so if there's one thing you could say to the world what would it be
1: whoa um I don't know fuck hierarchies like stop with the gatekeeping like (laughs) go put the yeah put away your hierarchies um that shit is boring and basic like and also vicious and violent and inhumane (laughs)
0: Yeah. I loved what you said earlier about abundance. There is enough for everyone. Like, oh, yes. Please believe
1: that because they will have you out here thinking that there can only be one or there's, yeah. mm -mm. That shit is a lie. Yeah. (laughs) It's a complete lie. And, you know, don't have all your eggs in one basket. Like, I'm, this is me like shifting my practice into public art, into design, into, you know, like, I'm, now even inching into like getting into film industry stuff like I'm yeah I'm not like I'm like my creativity can fit into so many different realms industries mediums like it's yeah I'm constantly seeking ways to just to expand and imagine and it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to look one way and it doesn't have to just exist in the art world you know
0: that's beautiful yeah well, thank you oh this i'm like i can't believe we've already been talking for like an hour and a half i feel like we could oh talk all day. <laughs> Sorry. i have like 10 more questions but i like maybe we could do a version two in a like in a right, right. Come back. <laughs> yeah i love it thank you so much for this generous conversation yeah
1: thank you ginger i enjoyed this thank you i needed to be taken out of all the arts and admin bullshit I'm in right now oh my god what the fuck yeah
0: yeah yeah, I know I appreciate you sharing all that too because it's real (laughs) (laughs) it really is yeah